Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I don't know about you, but I hope you had a great week and that maybe understanding a little bit about how to overcome fear in our life, that you become a little bit stronger because when you do put yourself in the hands of the Lord, that predeposes the fact that you believe that God is in control of everything and you know something about Him. Well, let me take you to a time that maybe you've been like me, where you're traveling down our beautiful highways, it's a beautiful Saturday You know the feeling, you're cruising along the coast, you're listening to some beautiful music and you're listening to that gorgeous scenery and you come up over a hill and you notice on the other side that you better hit the brakes, your heart skips a beat because there's a policeman on the other side parked on the side of the road looking your way. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Do you know what happens? Because we have this, uh, this fear of the law, we might say, or this respect for authority. And when that happens, we do change our behavior. Well, even though we've been spending a lot of time talking about not having fear, there is a time that fear is correct. There is a time that we need to allow ourselves to listen to God and to understand what He has to say about fear. And so today I'd like to perhaps answer the question, what does it really mean to fear the Lord? Now, for me to adequately answer that, we're going to need many, many hours because the Bible from cover to cover teaches about what does it really mean to fear the Lord. But I believe that today, what we're going to learn about God and who He is, it will help us to better understand about the fear of the Lord. So let me tell you, first of all, to whom am I speaking predominantly? Today, I'm going to be speaking to those of you who already know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's to you folks that I'd like you to understand what does it mean to fear the Lord. And then, later on in the message, I'm going to wrap my arms around those that are still on the other side of faith in Christ so you could understand what you're facing in the idea of fearing the Lord. Now, what I'd like to do is to remind you that the Bible does speak about fearing the Lord, and probably one of the greatest statements is found written by a person named Solomon. Now, those of you who are new in your journey with Solomon and knowing who he is, you might need to know that Solomon is the son of the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And so he had this son Solomon, but God also blessed Solomon and made him the wisest man that ever lived and probably the wealthiest man that had ever lived. God abundantly blessed him with that. And in in so doing, he also decided to have Solomon write a part of scripture underneath the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And in that book, Solomon probably would be the best one to write this book because he's writing this document and he's talking about the tension between really living life to the fullest and what does it mean? And the other side of the tension is, what does God have to say about all of this and how should I live my life in light of God? And so through it all, he keeps making these statements, I had it all and yet it was all empty and fruitless. And so at the end of this document, he summarizes it all in probably the greatest statement of what it means, what we should do with our life. And if you want to, look at it, if you will, in your worship folder, in your Bible, and I'd like you to read it out loud together with me. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, because some of you are saying, what is my ultimate purpose in life? And I think this would be a good one here. He says this, here is my final conclusion. He says, fear God and obey his commandments, for this is the duty of every person. Would you read it now out loud with me? Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commandments, for this is the duty of every person. Now today I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to fear the Lord. Let me begin by telling you what it doesn't mean about fearing the Lord. 
It doesn't mean that we have to be so scared of God that all we want to do is to run from Him. On the other hand, it is true that when we realize He's holy and righteous and that we have to give an account of our life, whether we're a believer or a non-believer, then there is going to be that wanting to hide. We had some pretty good models, Adam and Eve, that when they realized what they had done and they knew that they'd be facing God, that they wanted to run from God. So that's pretty normal to do. But that's not what God wants to do. He doesn't want us to run from Him, although that'll be the case. Now, some of you are also knowing that as you hear a lot about the Bible, that we really want to emphasize such things as grace and mercy and peace. And we do. You know, I've been to a lot of churches. I've pastored churches from New England, the southern part of the United States, all the way over into California. California. And what I've found is that there seems to be a great neglect of people understanding the fear of God. Oh, they'll sing about His grace. They'll study about His mercy. They'll talk about His love, which is all important to do as greatest motivators for us. But they often overlook what it means to really fear the Lord as a Christian, what it means to live underneath the all-seeing, all-knowing, and the God to whom we have to give all accounts to with our life. We just don't like to hear about that. In fact, some of you right now might not feel comfortable with me talking about this because you'd much rather hear about, well, I did something wrong and praise God for his grace and mercy. Well, the reason we have his grace and mercy because it slams up against his judgment and holiness. And so for us to really relish his grace and mercy, we have to fully understand the full weight of his judgment in our life. Do I ever hear an amen on that? But often we don't want to hear that. And so today, I want to share with you in the most kindest ways I possibly can what it means to fear the Lord. Now, there's a great uh, attorney who then found the Lord as his Savior, so to speak. God found him. He trusted Christ as Savior. And then he gave up his attorney practice, his lawyer practice, and he dove into studying God's Word and became a tremendous theologian, even editing one of the most profound uh, Bibles today, the C.I. Schofield edition. He defines... Fearing God or fearing the Lord, fear this way. He says it is reverential trust equal to a hatred of evil. And I think there's a lot to be said in that. And I encourage all of you to do a scripture search on the phrases fear God or fearing the Lord and to see how that will really play itself out because the scriptures are replete with that and how important that is. I would like to suggest one part of the fearing God that I think if we really own this, properly, we really understand this and we allow it to affect our lives, this what I'm about to give to you will propel us into living a life in a way to experience His grace, His mercy, and bringing great glory unto the Lord. So what I've put for you here already printed out is what does it mean to fear God? And I'd like you to look at that sentence that's in your worship folder, and this way you can follow along as I read it to you. Then we're going to pick it apart. Here's what it says. What does it mean to fear God? The fear of God is the constant awareness that I am in the presence of a just and holy God and that he is evaluating my every thought, word, action, and motive. In other words, God's radar scope, his radar is on all the time and none of us can race ahead of his laws that we have to give an account of everything that we do. Now, the good news is that he does manifest and demonstrate his grace and mercy in our life, but it's still underneath a God who evaluates everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, and even the reasons behind that. And that is very, very important. So I hope that we might learn some things about this in our own life, because it does work. Well, let's look at it by taking apart some of his attributes. You remember we talked about a little bit this last week. I think if we fully understood God more accurately, that would help us to live more holy before him. So first is God is always present. 
Some people would use the phrase, he's omnipresent. Let me explain again what that does not mean. Omnipresent doesn't mean that God is in everything. That'd be pantheism, and there are belief systems that believe that, but they're totally contrary to Scripture, and even logic says that that doesn't work. So, he is not in everything, but he is everywhere present at the very moment. So that means that wherever you have been, he was there with you. Where he is right now is in this room with you right now, so to speak, in your presence. When you leave here, he'll be in your car, he'll be in your house, he will be with your work, he'll be in your school, he'll be wherever you might be, wherever you are, he is, because he is everywhere present. God is everywhere. Look at the verse in Jeremiah 23, 24, a very sobering verse. The prophet says, God asking, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? I think for a moment, if we just took that verse and we understood that we could never run from God, we could never outthink God, we can, we can forget about God, that's for sure, but that doesn't mean that God has moved away from us. He is always there everywhere that we are. Now, some of you, you might take um, that and have great comfort in it. I do. I'd like to know that wherever I am, the Lord is, so that if I'm in a situation where I need Him at that very moment, that I don't have to wait for Him to show up. He's already there. That he is everywhere that I am. I am so grateful that when I am doing something good, he is right there, he sees it, and he will now record that so that later on at the judgment seat of Christ, I'll receive a reward for that. I love that part of the Lord. But there are also times that he's everywhere present and there are either places that I'm at or places and that I'm at that I'm doing something that isn't right, and he is watching that as well. Now, I know that we all know that, and probably your teens know it the best. Because all it has to be is whenever a teenager is doing something and you happen to show up in the middle of the act of what they're doing, that you know that that could change their behavior if they saw you coming. Is that not right? Does that not happen to you? Growing up, it has happened to me. It even happens to us when we drive our car, that it does affect us. So that means that the Lord, while he is everywhere present, he is not just present, sound asleep bodily. He is present there evaluating my words. He's evaluating my thoughts. He's evaluating my deeds. He's evaluating my motives, everything that I'm doing. So there's no place that I can hide because he is always there. Now, folks, I want you to realize that. That means should you go out to whether it's places that have, uh, that have a lot of carnality and a lot of worldliness, and you go to certain movies and you go to certain places that you think because you're under grace that you can, hey, that's okay, I'm under grace. You are under grace. But I want you to know that all of us, me included, we will give an account of everything that we have chosen to do, right or wrong. And so he is with us wherever we go. He's there. Well, let's go on with that definition a little bit further. He's also just and holy. So God is a holy and just God. So when we give an account, we're giving an account to someone who is so much wiser than us. He has the divine standard, the gold standard for what is, a right, what is righteousness. And look at this passage in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. It says, who else among the gods is like you, O Lord? And of course, as you well know, it's written by a man thinking about these other gods that are out there. We know there are no other gods, but people say there are other gods. So in that rhetorical sense, among the other gods, who is like you, Lord? And who are you who is glorious in holiness? Would you take a moment and circle that in your Bible? I want you to know that holiness doesn't have to be somber. It doesn't have to be mean-spirited, sour, and ready to squash us like a bug. Holiness is glorious. And someday we will be as holy as He is. We're going to be a partaker of that divine nature now, but then we'll receive the full nature when we have the likeness of Christ in heaven. He says, like you, so awesome in splendor. Circle that. But He is not just splendor. 
The awesomeness of God. He's gloriously rich in his holiness. Awesome in his wonders. And then it goes on to say, performing such wonders. So he is a God that is acting based on that holiness and justness. So holiness doesn't have to be something that's bad. It can be something that's very, very good. And that holy God, though, says, as I am holy, that you have to give an account of your life as well. Look in Deuteronomy 32, again, continuing in the Decalogue, the first five books of the Bible. He says, he is the rock, referring to God. His work is perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? For those of you that want to go a little deeper, even while I'm speaking, would you just look in just that one verse alone? How many attributes can you count of God in just one verse alone? This this verse is just spilling over with the personhood of God. And so when we have the fear of God, we have to know who he is. We know that he's everywhere present, but what kind of a God is everywhere present? One who is holy and just, and he says he can do no wrong, so he is righteous, he is upright, he is faithful. And what's not found in this verse, but is found all through the Bible, he's also a God of great love, grace, and mercy. And by the way, when I look at this, it is this God who is constantly watching. It is in the presence of this judge that we're going to have to give an account of every moment of our life. So we know he's everywhere present, we know he's holy and just, but also God evaluates every area of my life. He evaluates every area of my life. When I was working on this message, I was doing some research and I gave some credit at the end of the message to some of the input I got from others and I couldn't list them all, but one of them brought this to my attention I decided to follow it and here's what it is. He talked about how that when you go to the grocery store or maybe some of the department stores, Look above the cash register and see if you can see a, a kind of a half ball, a dome-like. It's usually dark gray. In that ball happens to be a camera that's watching you. You go to the banks today or tomorrow, I should say. You look at them watching you. I understand now there's a new television program out that's talking about how many cameras that are going to be following you when you go out in public, not maybe out into the beautiful creation, but out in the public, how many cameras are watching you. So while we have other people watching us, whether we think it's right or not, or whether we want them to or not, they are watching us. But I want you to know that those cameras can catch what we do, but what those cameras cannot catch is what we're thinking about. They cannot always catch hearing the words that we're speaking. And they definitely don't know the motives. But God's camera is on us 24 hours a day. And I love this. He never sleeps nor slumbers. So that means he is watching me even while I'm asleep. And he is taking care of me while he's doing it. This is the kind of God that I'm going to place my faith in, my reverential trust in. I'm going to respect this kind of God because he's evaluating everything about me. Look in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Maybe your Bible, you could underline the word, he sees clearly. That means he's not going to make any mistakes. He can watch everything about you and he sees every little tiny detail. Then it says what a man does, examining, and then underline the word, every path he takes. Now think about that for a moment in light of where you've been this last month, who you were with what you did with them, why you did what you did, and how you felt about it, and how you might have defended it or blamed someone else for it. He watched every part of your path. And then it goes on to say, in Jeremiah 16, 17, the Lord speaking, for my eyes are on all their ways. Underline that. 
There's not one way that we do that he didn't see what we were doing and why we were doing it. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Now, folks, many years ago, when I was a... um, Carol and I were new parents of adopted boys. We had gone to a seminar. It was a Bill Gothard seminar. And I don't know what you think of him, and he's got strengths and other issues, but I like to gain as much as I can from any speaker that's out there that would be biblical. One of the things he shared with us at that particular seminar that really spoke to me was the importance of help having our children really understand the love of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God, the everywhere presence of God, but not to overlook the importance of reminding that child that God is watching that child every moment of every day from the inside out. One, to protect, to provide, to care for, but at the same time to be there and that child will have to give an account. And then he went on to share with this. He says, you know, you won't always be able to be there when you release that child to the playground or to release that young person when they're driving for the first time, or let them go into town or to the mall with the other kids. But if you remind them that where you cannot be, God will always be there. He will always be, so to speak, your friend, but he's at the same time, he is holy and just, and that child will have to give an account. When I heard that and I began to share it with our kids, there seemed like there was almost a, if I can use this term, almost like a mystical, magical button that went on, that helped those kids realize that they really did have what we might call a governor in their life. And you know what I mean by a governor. Governors can slow you down when you're driving. Some of the big race cars are putting governors on them because they can actually go too fast for the racetrack and the guys will get killed, so they kind of scale them back a little bit. Well, we do have a governor in our life. The problem is, do we listen to that governor? Do you mind if I take you back a moment? Because this is very important. Remember how I spoke about Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes written by Solomon? We talked about him being the wisest man, the richest man, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself to then speak about his life having all this wealth and he chased after more and yet he still said it was all empty and fruitless and the conclusion is to fear God and keep his commandments. The interesting thing about that is that man that had all that horsepower behind him from God, that particular man, though he knew about fearing God, he did not fully fear God in his life went down at the end in flames. We look at him to see the consequences of it. Now, I hope you don't think I'm angry at you, and some of you are thinking that your mate might have called me and wants me to nail your mate because they've done something wrong. I want you to know that is not the case, but this is the case. The case is this, that how many of us can hear about fearing God, and again, we categorize that into something that it doesn't scare us, and it really should. Now, perhaps an earthly illustration, I've used it before here, but we have so many new people, so let me share it with you. You'll notice that up here and around here, you're going to see plugs or sockets. There's one over there, they're along the wall, all of that. That means that I have access to electrical energy that is sent into this building through a whole system of stuff so that we can power the lights, power the sound system, and a lot of other electrical gear that we have here. If it wasn't for electricity, we couldn't do that. On the other hand, I am not in a room so fearful of electricity because at any moment it can zap me. As you well know, they're having a horrible snowstorm up in the New England area. If you haven't heard about it, it is hammering them. Three million people without power. And we're not even finished with October yet. And that's all that global warming, but I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) The sad part about it, the tragic part about it, 
is that in Springfield, Massachusetts, the police officers were stopping the cars because power lines were down. One man got out to see what was happening, and he accidentally stepped on a power line, and he was electrocuted right before the police officers who were really trying to protect and serve, and that man died. I'm saying that to say this. So electricity is something that I'm not sitting there fearful of, so I can't function any longer, but at the same time, I am not going to lick a knife and stick it into the socket because I will get electrocuted. And there are a lot of people that enjoy all the blessings of the Lord, and we should and we want to, and some of us don't even know all the blessings, and we should want all of that. Even I don't have all the the joy that electricity can bring to me, and I wish I could have more. True. But on the other hand, we cannot enjoy that electricity unless we also realize there's a danger part. There's a warning there. There's a caution there. And that is that if we do not treat this with respect, then we will suffer the consequences. And so now when I look to the Lord, I enjoy every blessing He gives to me, all the joy that I have being in His forever family, never fearful about where I'm going to go when I die because He promised that I will never lose my eternal life. I'll be forever with Him in heaven. I'm so grateful for that. But at the same time, I'm not going to Mickey Mouse with my God in heaven. He may be my friend, but the only reason He can be my friend is because He is my God. And so this is what I'm trying to come across here with this so that we would realize it. Now, let me help compartmentalize it to make it even more practical for you. He evaluates every area of my life, that all my ways are before him. Nothing can be hidden from him. So you might want to look at it this way. The Lord looks at your inward life. That means what's going on in your mind even while I'm speaking. What goes on in your outward life? Obviously, what's on the inside will come out. We know that. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We know Scripture says that. But beyond that is he's also evaluating us when we worship. Do we go through the motions? Are we saying the words? Are we doing what everybody else does? Or is there an authentic, genuine worship of the Lord? Watch this. With a pure heart because we've cleansed it from that sin that we realize we did in violation of that holy God. Are we trying to worship him with one tongue and at the same time use profanity, off-color jokes, prevarication? with the other side of our tongue. And God wants authenticity when we do that. So look at the inward and the outward. Maybe I could divide your life up a little bit because sometimes we have a life that would be, how are we as a person before the Lord? Forget our roles that we play. Just think about ourselves as an individual, as if we're all alone. Yeah, there's people around us, but we have no other role than just our personhood. God is evaluating how you are doing apart from other people pulling you or pushing you in any other direction including your responsibilities. How are you alone? Second area would be, how are you as a partner? How loyal are you to the scriptures that tell us how we should live with our mate? That's why we're providing this seminar to help come alongside you so that you'll know how to please our Heavenly Father and at the same time to really touch the life of the one that's your life partner. And then maybe as a parent, your reasons to have children and then how you're parenting them and your equitability and how you do it and your love and your proper motives. And at the same time, your, your humility when you know you've blown it and you know you violated God's principle in child growth and development and you don't run away and quit and give up, but you go back to the Lord and you say, Lord, I've blown it. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And you receive it from the Lord and you then forsake whatever that style was that was wrong and you start over as a do-over. 
How are you as a parent? And then how are you as a professional person? Or maybe out there as a provider for your family, outside of your role as a person, partner, parent, and just see yourself out in the world of work. God is watching. Do you show up on time? Do you leave on time? Are you taking things from your job that you shouldn't? Are they seeing you talk behind your boss's back? Are you critical? Are you gossip? Do you steal? Do you lie? Are you sleeping around? Are you stealing from the company? He's watching all of that. Or maybe you're doing none of it, but you wish you could. And so now he's looking at the motives. And at the same time, he sees everything that you do right. You come in early, you leave late, you give stuff to the company where they don't give back to you. You put other people first. You don't take credit for stuff that other people did. You're the kind of person that's there that's honoring the boss and all the principles of that corporation, company, or business. You're doing it. And God sees that as well. Maybe another way to look at it would be, how are you in a couple of the F's in your life? Your family? He's evaluating your relationship as a friend, your relationship even with your finances, and how are you using the money that God has put into your management? How about your foes, and how do you treat your foes? Are you loving them as an enemy rather than trying to have them feel the same pain you are but going at it a different way? So I don't know, and I'm not here to gripe or grind on you. I just want all of us to realize that we are living in the presence of a holy and just God who is evaluating every thought, every word, every deed, and every motive that we do. And that's only part of it. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.